I want to share with you a, a story about a fellow named Zacchaeus. He was short. Everybody knows that about Zacchaeus, right? But I love Winston Churchill's quote. He was a short man too. And someone said to him, um, uh, you're pretty short, with, you know, pontificating the obvious. I don't know why you'd have to do that to any individual. And Churchill said, uh, just a great quote. He said, where I come from, we measure a man from the neck up. And I, I just think that's a, that's a great quote because really stature doesn't matter. But it's mentioned here. And uh, he couldn't get a good look at Jesus because he was short when the crowd uh, was around Christ. We're going to talk about that today, but I've called this sermon in this red letter series, remember the red letters, when you see it in red up even on the screen, it means that Jesus spoke those words. You have red letter edition Bibles, right? And you go to the New Testament, anything you see in red in that red letter edition are the words that Christ spoke. So that's what this series is about, the, the teachings, the words that Jesus Christ himself our Savior and, 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 uh, and, and Counselor and King. Uh, these are his words that we look at. But I've called this a good look at Jesus today because uh, that's what Zacchaeus was, was trying to get when he climbed that tree. Who is Jesus? Now, I'm not asking who he is to you, although all of us see him a certain way. He is who he is. Let me, let me read to you who he is. Here's what it says in Philippians 2. Though he was God, so it starts off with saying Jesus is God. Okay? Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every name. So Jesus is a name that's above every name. And we're reading the holy word of God here. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So you may not bow today, but you are going to bow someday. That's what this word says. In heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess. So you may not confess today, but you're going to confess someday that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let me tell you why I'm hopeful that you'll confess Christ in your lifetime. Because if you don't, you'll be lost for eternity. Acts 4.12 tells us he's the only way to be saved. You say, well, how, how can it be so narrow? Well, the Bible says that narrow is the path, straight is the way. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, there's no other name. When God has one plan for salvation, why do we need to be saved? Mankind had sinned. We'd moved away from God. We had been separated from his holiness. He's so holy, he can't cohabitate with sin. So he had to make a way where he either had to punish us for the sin, and, and uh, you know, he did that in the flood in the Old Testament, or he had to make a way to redeem us so that he could have a relationship with us again. And the only plan, why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only plan God the Father had to redeem us. And so God the Father sent his only begotten son to come live on this earth, be a sacrifice for our sins, live a perfect life, and he raised him up, took him to his right hand. The Bible says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And when we... Ask for forgiveness of our sins. His grace covers us and we're forgiven. Now, if you don't ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your heart, you'll be lost. That, you know, that's what preachers are supposed to preach, the gospel. And the gospel is unless you take Jesus into your heart, you will be lost for eternity. The Bible says that there's a place called heaven. And there's a place called hell. The Bible says that those who accept Christ here and take his grace get to go to heaven for eternity. The Bible says that those who don't go to hell for eternity. 
And, and, and you say, well, a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. No, a loving God wouldn't. You're right. He doesn't send people to hell. You have to decide that you don't want him. You have to turn away from him. He's doing everything he can to draw everyone. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to be saved. And you have to reject him over and over again. You have to push his love away because he doesn't want you to go there. So if you go there, it's because you've decided that you don't want him. But you have to take him. And there are those who refuse to believe and refuse to acknowledge that they could be wrong in their thinking about who Jesus is. Have you ever been wrong where it was really embarrassing? You really thought you were right and then you discovered, oh shoot, I was wrong on that. I remember a time, uh, it's, it's probably the worst time I've ever had. I think there were two where I was wrong in my life. And I, so I, I remember them very well. Um, but we were married, Karen and I. We, I was a student at George Fox. We had just graduated and we were going to Idaho for a senior trip. It was a good, clean thing that was just a, a bunch of fun. And on the way over, we were just talking and visiting with people in the car or van. There seemed there were several of us. And I told a riddle. Now, the riddle has no spiritual significance here, but you need to know it because it helps the story a little bit. The riddle was, if you're in a foreign country... And you come to a Y in the road and you want to choose the right way to go, but you only have one question to ask and you have to ask it to two identical twins and you know because they're famous that one of them always lies and one of them always tells the truth. You have one question to ask them. What's the question you ask them to know which direction to go? It's just a dumb riddle, but I've never heard anyone get it. Well, so I don't want to puzzle you too long here. The question, one of them always lies, one always tells the truth, one question to know where to go is... Which way would your brother tell me to go? Well, the one who always lies would point the wrong direction and the one who, point, who always tells the truth points the wrong direction as well. So you go the other way. Just a dumb riddle. But when I told it, what I said worked. But when I gave the punchline, I said, if I were to ask your brother, which way would he tell me to go? And well, that works, you know. And, but someone in the car said, oh, that's good. And, but you know, you don't have to say, if I were to ask your brother. Now this is dumb, but I said, this is where the, the argument started. I go, no, no, you have to say, which way would your brother? Because and for 30 minutes, I argued with him and then people in the car and Karen, full of mercy, was trying to say to me, Stan, I think he's right. You know, it actually works if you just say it, that shorter version. And I was going, no, no. And over an hour, we get there. And, I, and then, then all of a sudden, when we get there, an hour and a half later, it dawns on me, oh, shoot, they're right. And I was, I was totally embarrassed, you know, because I was, I was, you know, what's the matter with you people? You don't understand, you know? And they're just like, no, you think you don't understand. It's the real deal there. And, and they were right. Now, for me, the only thing was embarrass, embarrassment. But what if, what if you're so adamant about what you think, but you're wrong? And what if it's so important that your soul's on the line for eternity? And I'm telling you, there are going to be people who've argued all their lives that Jesus is not the way. And they've had loving witnesses come to them to try to help them and tell them and show them and give them a good look at who Jesus really is and give them opportunity. And if they rejected, here's what the word says in John 3, 18, there's a lot on the line. There's no judgment awaiting those who trust him. But those who do not trust him have already been judged for not believing and the only Son of God. Did you know that the preachers of the gospel have to get the message out about eternity and heaven and hell? And America's not carrying it enough these days. We're letting that go by because we don't want to offend anybody. Hey, I'll tell you what I don't want. I don't want anybody who sat under what I preached in this church or otherwise and didn't get a clear presentation that you must accept him before you die because they'll be lost. I don't want to see them standing before the Lord saying, Pastor, why didn't you tell me? 
When I was there, why didn't you say? I don't want a friend of mine to be able to say, you knew and you didn't tell me. Because judgment will come. Now, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants all to go to heaven. Well, now we come to this story. I said all that to say, let me, let, I want to give you a, a good look at Jesus today through the life of Zacchaeus. And I think we can, we can see God here in incredible fashion. But, but, but let me just share a few things that I see in this story today that it highlights for us to understand and, and learn from. The first is that some people can't get a good look at Jesus. Luke 19, the story starts here. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Not just rich, very rich. He had tried to get a look at Jesus but he was too short to see over the crowd. So for him, it's just physical stature. That's, and and there were, every person was an obstacle. I mean, Jesus comes into Jericho. He's kind of a famous prophet. I mean, he's done a lot of healing in the region. And the crowd just gathers and they're kind of following him as he walks through. It's, it's like a parade and there's this hubbub. And a little bitty short Zacchaeus, he's got money, but he can't see. And, and, and he couldn't get a good look at Jesus because of his physical stature. Now, I just want you to know that I think there are a lot of people in this world who can't get a look, good look at Jesus because they have obstacles in their lives as well. It's not physical stature, but I want to share with you a few things. I loved Jose Zayas' sermon last week about Chuck and C. I just, I just thought it was so fantastic. I'm already hearing good reports about, uh, about uh, outreach and the, and the kind of things that are happening. Um, and as you sit before people, see, because I don't think this will be a, a one-time thing. I think you build relationships with people and you love on them and uh, very rarely do, do people come to Jesus just like that because you say a word. It's usually because they can see God in your life and his love in, in, in your life and they'll eventually res- respond to the words that come out of your mouth because of relationship. But here are some obstacles that when you sit before people that they're gonna have, not stature, but let me just share a few. And this was, Zacchaeus had an obstacle that was keeping him from seeing Christ as Lord uh, even before he climbed that, climbed that tree. And here's what it was. Sometimes rich and so-called self-made people don't think they need Jesus. Why? Because they have everything, right? They made it happen. Well, we know that the common grace of God is on everybody, even if they don't serve Jesus. Any gift you have, business skill, talent, ability, everything you have is a God-given gift whether you serve Jesus or not. I mean, it was part of what he stamped in your life uh, the day you were born, and he gave it to you, even though you may not acknowledge that. Perhaps more than anything else, it's pride here that we're talking about. Successful people sometimes have trouble receiving Jesus as Savior because they don't think they need him. Well, I'll tell you, you can't buy your way to eternity in heaven, so you've got to come to Jesus uh, in humility no matter what you own. Luke 18, 25 says this. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So sometimes money just gets in the way. Revelation 3, 17. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And what that means is your life's as full of sin as anybody else's. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you need Jesus to touch your heart, your life, your soul, you need to be forgiven or you can't make heaven your home. But sometimes rich people can't see their need. You'll be facing that as you sit across from people. Here's another one. 
they've only heard from people who reject Jesus as the way. You know, if you live in downtown Portland, there's many roads to God and uh, I'll tell you, all roads do lead to God. They lead to the great white throne judgment where he'll either say, enter in my good and faithful servant or depart from me for I never knew you. But the only way to get to heaven for him to say enter in is through Jesus Christ. But some people haven't even heard the story. I mean, there was a day in America when I was growing up as a little boy, most people had had a clear presentation of the gospel in America. It's not true anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure the first look, at a religious look in people's lives is, it used to be Christianity. I'm not sure it's Christianity anymore. I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, uh, the Baha'i faith. It's, it's the Muslim faith. It's, you know, all these other things. Christianity's not the first look. And part of it's because we're not carrying the mail. We're not carrying it from the pulpits in America and we're not carrying it personally. Here's what the Bible says. How will they know unless someone tells them? And Jesus has chosen to work through us, but all they've heard is the vain philosophy. You know, they've heard some uh, angry professor who doesn't know God as an atheist and who dissuades them. That's all they've ever heard is Christianity as a negative uh, word and a negative life. And, and, and um, here's what Colossians 2 says, don't let anyone capture you with the empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So, so some people haven't, they, they, they've, they've only heard from people who reject God as the way, who reject Jesus, and so that's part of what you'll be dealing with as you sit with people and you're loving on them. Here's another thought, they can't, they can't get past their personal pain. How many times, have, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I once prayed to God, my mother was dying, some bad thing, terrible thing happened, I prayed and it happened anyway. And they decided there must not be a God because the bad thing happened when I prayed. Well, I got news for them. I've been a Christian most of my life and bad things happen when I pray too. Here's the deal. This isn't isn't heaven. Heaven is the place where there's no more crying, no more pain, no more tears. This is the old order. It'll pass away. But here there's, there's, there's death and there's sorrow and there's hardship. Let me tell you what this life is about. This human life that you're now living is all about a test. Will you receive Jesus Christ and humble yourself in your life or not? If you pass the test, you'll humble yourself and say, I believe, Jesus, that you are the way, and then you'll move into eternity with Christ in heaven or you'll be lost. But when you get to heavens, when there's no crying, no more pain, no more tears, John 16, 33, the words of Christ, he said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. That's for believers and unbelievers alike. Just because God didn't answer you the way you wanted him to answer you, because here's the truth, I know know hundreds of people that have come to Jesus because of hardship and trial. Some reject him for it, but some come to him because they realize, I need help, I need comfort, and they run to Jesus and they find it. Jesus said, there'll be trial and sorrow in this life, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Now, I'll tell you this, too. It becomes really hard for the people you'll be sitting with to come to Jesus if they've been hurt by the church. When I say the church, I mean the church in general. And there's a lot of people who've been, who've been wounded uh, at churches and have rejected God because they, they think the church is what God is like. Sadly, Christians and churches don't always look like Jesus. 
And, and sometimes there's legalism and this feeling of we're special and you're not and, and finger pointing and, and it's, it's, just, it's just tragedy. But when a hard thing happens, maybe a, maybe a Christian who's supposed to be a good example falls away and they say, well, he didn't even live it, she didn't live it, why should I live it? It must not be true. And that's what you'll be faced when you, with when you sit with people who hurt, who don't know Jesus and who've rejected him. I remember years ago being in Eastern Oregon at a conference and listening to a 19-year-old girl speak. Well, normally as a pastor, you go to a conference, you don't hear 19-year-old young ladies speak, you know, to pastors. And it was a pastor's conference. And she was incredible. I mean, I mean, she was amazing. The spirit of Christ was all over her. And she knew the word. And she loved Jesus. And she inspired us all. And I just wanted to know her story. I'd never seen a 19-year-old impact ministers like that. So I just had to talk to her afterwards. And I went up to her and I said, what is your background? That was, that was unbelievable what Jesus did, just did through you. And she told me she was a preacher's uh, daughter. And, and so, you know, I thought, well, that makes sense. And then she told me the rest of the story. In the past year, her dad, who was a preacher, had fallen away from his faith, had moved to Portland, and had moved into a homosexual lifestyle. And I'm watching her full of the love of Christ standing up, somehow overcoming that. And I said, how in the world... After hearing that, how in the world have you held on to Jesus the way you have? And here's what she said. She said, Jesus didn't do that. God didn't fail me. My dad did. Jesus didn't turn away from my dad. My dad turned away from Jesus. Now, 19 years old, saying, saying and that is profound. Because listen, I'm going to tell you something. Whether Christian or non-Christian, people will fail you. Christians and non-Christians will fail you. But God never will. Don't determine who God is by looking at people. Look at God to see what people are supposed to be. And she got it. But then she told me this. She said, would you pray with me for my little brother? And I believe he was 17. She said, he's fallen away from God because he looked at what my dad did and said, if that's, if that's what he's going to do, then it must not be real. And so we prayed. One who clung to Jesus through the pain and found comfort. and had I'm telling you, she had as much joy as anyone I've ever seen in my life. But Jesus brought that joy. She wasn't denying circumstances. She was trusting in God through difficult circumstances. And some people can't get over their personal pain, but the real answer for them is to, to look to Jesus and he'll comfort you. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 4. He comforts us all in our troubles so we can comfort others when they are troubled. We'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Here's another problem people have. The suffering of the world confuses them. I mean, you'll hear that, especially in this area in the Northwest, the cynical Northwest. I love the Northwest, but it is cynical. And how many times have you heard, um, well, if God is real, why is there suffering in the world? Well, here, here's, a, here's a thought for you. God is real, and so is the devil. There is evil in this world. There's a prince of darkness, and he's real. Some people don't like to believe in a real devil. There's a real devil, I'm just here to tell you. If there's a real God, then there's a real devil because the, the, the separation is made obvious in the scriptures. And I'll read to you in a moment. Kinda, it, it's kind of like heaven and hell. Some people think that heaven is literal, but hell is not. It's not a literal place. 
I find it interesting that they're always mentioned together. So if, if hell's not literal, then heaven isn't either. You, when they're mentioned together, you can't say, oh, one's literal, the other's not. They're either both real or both not. Well, they're both real. And when you see God and the enemy mentioned, you need to know that there is God who is called uh, the light, Jesus, the light of the world, and then there's the prince of darkness, the enemy. And, and that's why they're suffering in the world because the enemy goes about, as it says in John 10.10, 10, here's what he does. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. Why is there war? Why is there famine? My purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Ephesians 6.12, here you see it. Put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. This is where we need to be careful in our marriages. Because sometimes you, you, you think you're fighting the person, you have no idea that, you're, that the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy your marriage. And, and the battle's against him, not against your spouse. I mean, we get it right with God, and we care, and we love one another, we cover one another, and we pray. I'm telling you, you get in an argument, take hands and pray, and the enemy just flees. He just has to. Say, I don't feel like it. Well, when you don't feel like it, it's when you need to do it the most, usually. There's an enemy who's warring against our souls in every area. He wars against nations. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is a devil. And I want to tell you this, when it comes to famine and, and poverty and... Um, there, there's, there's, there's truth here. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation. Here's what it says in the message paraphrase. God devotion makes a country strong. God avoidance leaves people weak. Anywhere you find a country that has blocked the message of the gospel from going forward, you will find suffering and poverty. I'm just telling you. History proves it throughout the world. Wherever you find a nation that embraces God and is open to the message of the gospel and lets it be preached, you will find love, you will find prosperity in many ways, including financial. I'm just telling you, you go look at the history of a country and you'll see that God's blessing will touch even nations when nations allow his word to be spoken. When they block it through communism or whatever else, then you, you, just, you just have a bunch of pain. Well, Try to keep moving here. This is all in point one, believe it or not. I'm gonna move faster. They, they have not met. Here's why some people sitting across from you at that Starbucks or at your home someday that don't know Jesus haven't come to Jesus. They've not met a genuine Christian who helped them get a good look at Jesus. Someone who's been a personal witness and has walked with them. Here's a question. How... How are they going to come to Jesus if we don't walk with them? I have a sister who'll be here in a few weeks, and she's a lesbian. She, she's not following Christ with her life. I love her. God loves her. You, you don't go to heaven because God loves you. You go to heaven because you decide to love him back. The Bible says, why, why do you say you love me, but you don't do what I say? And we... We prove our God devotion by, by, by coming to him and giving our whole heart and following to the best of our abilities his ways. But here's the deal. I want, I want people to walk with my sister. We're praying that somebody somewhere would come alongside her and bless her 
by showing Jesus in their lives to her. How are they going to come? How are we going to reach the homosexuals if we're not willing to walk with them? You say, that's a little scary. Yeah, and I, I you know, if, if, if that's your place of temptation, then I wouldn't recommend witnessing there, for sure. But I'm telling you, Jesus wants witnesses to everybody who's in sin, no matter what the sin is. And we have to reach out. We have to, we have to show them we, we, we care because that's the heart of God. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I like what a professor said in college. He said, people would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. It goes on to say in 1 Peter, Dear friends, you are like foreigners and strangers in this world. I beg you to avoid the evil things your bodies want to do that fight against your soul. Now here's what I believe the best witness is. A life that's a pure example that that walks um, in purity and words about the gospel of Jesus Christ, words about the truth of God. So it's the example and the words that go together. Movies aren't so great if you, if you just look at the picture and turn the sound down. You will never get it. The example's really good. And it goes on to say, people who do not believe are living all around you and might say that you are, you are doing wrong. Live such good lives that they will see the good things you do and give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again. So if we can get with them, if we can build relationships with them, if we can be like Jesus, and here's the deal with Jesus. It seems to me that he made everybody he was around that didn't know him feel like he liked them, right? I mean, Zacchaeus, he's about to say to Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I wanna be with you too. Zacchaeus was pretty excited because he, he thought, I think he likes me. I've never met an unbeliever that I couldn't see the fingerprint of God on because of that common grace of God that I spoke of earlier. I've never met a person that I couldn't find good in because there's a God fingerprint on them. But goodness is not what takes you to heaven, right? It's humility to receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But I can say good things about people who are unbelievers. I'm gonna tell you something. My sister, she's a very uh, giving person. And I can affirm that, right? I mean, there's things we can affirm. If you build a relationship with people and they get the sense that you like them, somewhere along the way, they open up to the message. Somewhere along the way, they start to ask questions that they didn't really care about before. Because they say, this person has earned the right for me to be vulnerable because I can sense that they care about me. God cares about them, right? Right? He loves them before they come, right? So shouldn't we love them too? Absolutely. That's what the Lord wants. We live pure lives to show them the example because right, if we're, if we're doing all the things that people who don't know Jesus do, I mean if, you know, from sexuality to uh, defiling our bodies with, with uh, drugs and, and abuse of alcohol, when we, when we do those things, all they're gonna say, I'm, I'm just telling you, I've watched it from experience. We see it in the word right here. They're just gonna say, well, what do they have that I don't have already? They don't have anything I don't have. But if you don't have an attitude and you're not acting like holy Joe and self-righteous person, but you'll live pure 
and you'll care about them, somewhere along the way, they'll show up with some questions because you have earned the right and they say, I think this person's real. I, I saw a story once, I couldn't believe it. A young lady went to a youth camp with a youth pastor from a local city and she didn't accept Christ at the camp. She just had a hard time believing all this was real. Most people don't come to Christ in one setting. There's, there's witness and seeds that are planted and watering all along the way. And she didn't come to Christ at the camp, but she was, she was wondering. She was thinking about it. The youth pastor that took her to camp, she saw him across the distance one day in their city. He got out of his car and went around to the opposite side and opened the door for his wife. And at that moment, she thought, he's real. He's not faking this. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm just telling you what I read. This is her story. And she accepted Christ at that moment because she saw the youth pastor open the door. Now, I'm not saying that you should open the door for your wife, guys, but somebody should open the door for somebody because it shows a giving heart. Ladies, you open the door for your husband too, all right? And we'll just show them all Jesus. Uh, the point was she saw a giving, loving person who was living it out when people weren't watching. And it impacted her. And when we live for Christ, even little things become big things as people start to see consistency in our life. Some people have not met a genuine Christian who helped them get a good look at Jesus and it's an obstacle that blocks away. Zacchaeus had this richness and he had this physical uh, limitation that kept him from seeing. Now, let's move to point two and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to blitz now. Jesus looks great when you finally see him. Verse four, Zacchaeus runs on ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, just so you know, in that Eastern culture in the Middle East, uh, men did not run. It was not dignified. Now, this is a very rich man who's like a little boy following a parade. He wants to get a look at Jesus. I, I want you to know this. When you're really serious about getting a look at Jesus, getting a look at Jesus, he's pretty easy to find. When you say, I wonder, I want to see Jesus, if you're real, show me. You pray that prayer. Jesus, if you're real, you show me, and you'll see him this week. But you got to have a real heart that's open and wants to see. He wanted to see. Like a little boy, he climbed a tree. You say, well, that's such simple, childlike faith. That's right. Luke 16 says, Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I assure you, anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get into the kingdom of God. You have to come with a heart that's open like a child to say, Jesus, if you're real, I want to know. And he had that childlike curiosity. Verse five, Jesus came by and he looked up at Zacchaeus. Think of this now. Huge crowd in the city of Jericho, moving along like a parade. There, 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 there must have been noise. He couldn't see. He runs ahead, climbs a tree, and he's looking down. Jesus walks by, and Jesus knows the heart of every man and woman, right? He's God. So he looks up at Zacchaeus in a tree. What a setting. In the midst of a crowd, he looks at one person, just like he would look at you today. And here's what he said. Quick, come down, Zacchaeus. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, I've invited myself to people's homes a time or two in my life, and my wife keeps telling me, don't do that, that's not, the, that's not proper etiquette. 
Karen, did you, did you see that? Jesus said. <laughs> now that really is the only place in the, in the, in the Gospels where Jesus invites himself to, to a home. But look, look what happens to Zacchaeus. He gets really excited. He climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Why did Zacchaeus have great joy when Jesus said, come down, I must be at your home today? He thought he was seeking Jesus, but he found out that Jesus was seeking him. He thought he wanted to be with Jesus, but he had great joy because he realized Jesus wants to be with me. I'm gonna tell you, it is an awesome thing when you realize you've made mistakes in your life, when you realize you don't deserve anything God would give you, it is an awesome thing when he turns to you with his grace and says, hey, I wanna live in your heart. I wanna make your heart my home. You know how I know it's awesome? Because that's me. The grace of God has covered me, forgiven me, and blessed me, and it's awesome, and it causes great excitement in my heart. To know that he would do that not only for me, but for everyone who would humble themselves and say, Jesus, I want you. Zacchaeus is starting to see for himself who Jesus is. What's Jesus look like? What does it look like when Jesus shows up? When you finally see him, he looks great. Listen to these words right here. And Titus, and let's, let's see the characteristics of God. Now, let's think about these characteristics flowing through our lives, because it's Jesus in us, touching others. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, so there's a couple for you. What's, what's God look like? Kindness and love. That's what he looks like. When my son Aaron was a little guy, um, we were watch, watching TV preachers, and I kind of like to watch them, sometimes for entertainment, sometimes because they're really good. And... and um, but there was this guy who just bottled a and had his finger going, and Aaron was like four, and he walks by and he's kind of just playing and he looks and he goes, Dad, what's that guy so mad about? And I said, Well, Aaron, he's not mad. He's he thinks he's anointed, he's preaching. He's just he's kind of getting it out there. And he said, Hmm, looks mad to me, and he just left, you know. Well, I'm all for anointing, and volume can be good, and I, I don't mean to knock that because I've seen it work well, but here's the deal. This is what God is full of, kindness and love. What should we look like? We, we should look a lot like him. We should be kind and loving. He saved us, it says in verse five, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He's merciful. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. <laughs> and he'll just wipe the slate clean. He's merciful. Will we do that for people when they give their hearts to Christ? When they ask for forgiveness? He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. Man, I wish we could help people get a good look at who Jesus is because he looks great when you finally see him. We, um, we travel to Dallas, Oregon uh, to my in-law's house on the holidays and several times a year, but it seems like this always happened on the holidays. There's a church on the, on the route we would take that on the way back, coming back from grandma and grandpa's, 
it had this mural, kind of an obscure mural of Jesus Christ, this, this picture. It's on the huge plastered on the wall. And, and, but but you were supposed, it was a piece of art and Jesus is in there, but he's hard to see. Have you ever seen that before? Take a look at this picture because this is it. This is the exact church. And, and I remember we're, we're going by and we were telling our kids when they were little for years, do you guys see Jesus there? Look, there's Jesus on the building and our, our, and our kids, Candace and Aaron, were going, no, I don't see Jesus. Where? I don't get it. And we're, you know, we're driving in traffic, so I go, see, there's his eye on the right and you see on the right side there, it's, it'd be his left there. And, it's the, and then the shadow is, that's the, the white spots, his beard. And Now, how many see Jesus in that picture? Lift your hand. Now, be honest, just because it'll help me if you're honest here. How many don't, don't see it or didn't see it when it first went up, all right? Okay, now this is the way it is with people in Jesus Christ. Some people, they don't see him for a while. But if they keep getting a pretty good look, eventually, one day we're driving by. Years have gone by. Kids haven't been able to see Jesus. And one day Aaron says, I see him. I see Jesus. And we all celebrated. Cool, you see Jesus. And Candace is like, yeah, I don't see him. I don't see him. But we had to drive by, so, you know, every year we come by. Then the next year we come by, and Aaron goes, I still see him, Dad. Once you see him, you can always see him. And I thought, oh, buddy, that is profound. Because once you, once you see Jesus, you'll always see him. You'll always be convinced he's real. You may not serve him, but you'll see him. Eventually, I thank the Lord that Candace saw Jesus, too, as, as she got a little older. We see, but here's the deal. It might take them a while. Can we walk with them? Can we sh- keep showing mercy and kindness? Because someday, someday it's going to be a blessed day when they say, I see him. I see Jesus. Now, how many didn't see him when we put the picture up, but you've seen him since? Raise your hand. Now you get it. You see him in there, okay? See? A few people coming to Jesus, right as we're sitting here today. <laughs> It's kind of the way it works. We just kind of, it, you know, just kind of work our way through and they have to come at their own pace and then all of a sudden, bam, it's there, the revelation. And maybe they just opened a spot or looked in a certain way and maybe suddenly the presentation hit them right where it needed to, to hit them. Well, here's the deal. Just like Zacchaeus, you can know this. This was what was so cool to him. Jesus was real and Jesus wanted to know him. Jesus is real and Jesus wants to know us. Third thought now. Religious people sometimes look ugly. That's what we see in this story with Zacchaeus. Verse seven, but the people were displeased. He's gone to, the, to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Now this is similar to the Levi story. As a matter of fact, the words are almost identical, but it's a different guy. This is Zacchaeus. Now remember I talked about Levi the tax collector. This is another tax collector. And here they're doing it again. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Now, the tax collector, remember I talked about this, I won't spend too long on it today. Uh, they were commissioned by the Roman government. They were seen as traitors because they're Jewish, but they start, they leave their, 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 the law, the faith, and they, they work with the Roman government to just collect, collect taxes. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. What that means is he's hired several people that he's put in locations, and they collect taxes, and the tax collectors always took more than they were supposed to in this culture. The Romans didn't care as long as they got theirs. So Zacchaeus was not only collecting more, but he had several employees, and he was getting a cut from all of them. That's why he was a very rich man. He was a thief. He was a business person who was a total crook. 
And they said to him, he's a notorious sinner. And they were displeased. As a matter of fact, we see in the story that I talked about earlier with Levi in Luke 5.30, they said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And religious people. Now, I want to be fair here and say that these are not Jesus followers that are saying this. They're religious, but they're, they're, they're into a Jewish religion, but they're not following Jesus. But sometimes the people of God can look really ugly too, right? And when we talked about looking down our nose at people, and here's, here's what religious people start to think. They start to think that it's really about the rules. If you follow these rules in the Bible, and then they start making up their own rules, you know, a little bit, and thinking everybody should follow their standard. And pretty soon, they, you, you know, the, the further you get in your Christian life, the greater the temptation not to have any unbelieving friends. Because <laughs> you've moved into a church culture we, we got to have unbelieving friends, right? How many, how many unbelieving friends do you have now? How many unbelievers are you connected some way with that you're reaching out to? It should be part of our lives, somehow, some way. Jose was trying to help us with that last week, right? How will they know unless someone tells them? But if we're not careful, we get in a church culture, and pretty soon it's just about my four and no more, you know, just making sure the kids are healthy in the youth group, and that's awesome, man. They need to be in youth group and it's a great place to be. But when we separate ourselves out and we start to look at, you know, those invaders that could pull us away and something bad can start happening and we get into rules more than relationship with Jesus and we're not reaching out to people anymore. Religious people see others as inferior. They saw, they saw this guy as scum, but Jesus saw a lost person who needed his love. And if we're his people, then we have to carry that heart. Can we see a lost person who needs the love of God? Can we be forgiving to those who make mistakes? You know, the worst thing is not to fall down. The worst thing is to fall down and never get up again. You've heard me say many times, the best thing I've ever done is not quit doesn't sound very profound in many ways, but I'm telling you, you're gonna make mistakes. Get up. Jesus will forgive and Jesus will help you overcome. We should never have that ugly attitude that says we're better than others. That's why we like this saying at Horizon Community Church where everybody is somebody and Jesus is all. I love the way you love people when they come through these doors. I love the way you love people when you leave this place. I love the way you're kind. And you see everyone is important. I believe that's how Jesus is. He came to, as it says, here's what he said to these guys in this story. (laughs) And I, the son of man, have come to seek and save those like him. He's talking about Zacchaeus here. Who are lost. Guys, that's what I'm here for. Let me try to illustrate um, this point about religious people here in a strange sort of way. I want to talk to you for a moment about Justin Bieber. Now, how many of you know who Justin Bieber is? Put your hand up, okay? Now, this, this, this shocked me in the first service. How do you old people know who Justin Bieber is? That's, that's what I want to know. Now, Justin Bieber first was a YouTube sensation when his mother, single mom, took videos of him as a little guy and put him on YouTube. Eventually, he's discovered, signs a record contract, 
And um, he put out a CD called My World. Justin Bieber, not the Beatles, not Elvis Presley. Justin Bieber is the first person to ever have seven songs debut on the Billboard Hot 100 at the same time. He's 16. He just came out um, with a movie. But let me say this first. This is the, The Observer, a newspaper in England. They published a report indicating that Justin Bieber is more influential in the social networking sphere than Barack Obama or the Dalai Lama. So I looked up, Justin Bieber has 7,400,000 Twitter followers. Barack Obama has 6,900,000. Now social networking is Facebook, Twitter, that sort of thing. This kid has amazing influence. And... It's just shocking what's happened with him so fast. He just came out with a movie. I want to ask for a show of hands to see who went this week. But he came out with a movie about his life called Never Say Never. And it debuted Friday. It was the number one movie in America. By the weekend, it was number two movie in America with just under $30 million at the, at the box office in the first weekend. The story is about his life. His life story. That's what the movie's about, rather, is his life. Now, You probably knew that, some of you did, but I bet you didn't know this. This is an article from USA Today that was written 10 days ago. The title was, Tween Evangelist, Justin Bieber Film Packed with Prayer. Paramount Pictures, I'm reading now from USA Today, has screened the movie for faith leaders across the country and distributed a spiritual discussion guide that suggests the movie provides an opportunity to teach our children about the power of hope, Prayer, faith, and family. This is Justin Bieber's movie. This is, this is all in there. So they give a Bible study guide with the movie that's provided if people want it. It lists discussion points and Bible verses related to the movie such as the power of prayer and the importance of godly friendships. In this 3D film that's out this week, fans will see Bieber expressing his faith in several scenes He's, been, he's shown praying before concerts, and his mother, Patty Malay, discusses how God brought stability to her life as a single teenage mother. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make you a Bieber believer today. <clears throat> I'm going somewhere with it. Give me a shot. But I want you to see the kind of things that this 16-year-old is saying. This is a Rolling Stone quote that was just February, uh, a little over a month ago. He said in Rolling Stone, ask about his opinion on abortion. Bieber said he doesn't believe in abortion and that it's like killing a baby. Hey, who do you see saying that in the media today that has this much fame? But then he said this for Billboard magazine. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins. He's the reason that I am here. Listen, Would you pray for Justin Bieber? Uh, You don't have to like his music. It's not necessary. But, you know, I'm just telling you, with the social networking available today, the industry can't control the message anymore. There's a new opportunity with his generation to get the gospel out. And if we can have some kids rise up that are doing this, if we could have some kids that would be unashamed, some people that that would share, did you know his mother, Patty Malay, that single mama, has 281,000 Twitter followers and she sends out Bible verses and encouraging messages to, to help people with her Twitter followers. Now, USA Today said his born-again mother 
shared her story. Here's a story from a magazine called Baptist Press that just came out last month as well. This is all pretty current. This is really where I was going now. You know what Justin Bieber is starting to do with the possibility of impact. Look, I don't know where he's going. I know he could make mistakes. That's why I want you to pray for him. Would you pray for him? Because he's going to have a ton of pressure on him. Uh, But I want to give him credit for what he's doing right now. That's cool, isn't it? Let's give somebody credit for what they're doing at this moment. And let's pray for him. Now, let's talk about Patty. That's, what, that's where I said all that about Justin and what he's, what he's got an opportunity to do. Here's Patty's story. Patty's own witness is touching, the Baptist press says. She had experienced sexual abuse as a little girl and found herself in a broken, tense home. To deal with her bottled-up pain, she turned to alcohol and drug abuse, and at age 14, she left home, entering into an emotionally unhealthy relationship Finally, she attempted suicide. This is Justin Bieber's mom, but was spared and ended up in a mental hospital. A man from a youth center was one of her few visitors. His name was John, and he visited her often. Now listen, she wasn't Justin Bieber's mom at the time. She was a broken little girl that nobody cared about. But Jesus cared, so he sent John. And John talked to her about God and life and he relayed the message of God's love and told her that God had concern for her and at first, Patty resisted a spiritual awakening but finally opened her heart to Christ. She spoke to Jesus asking that if he was real, he would forgive her and come into her heart. Now, Patty Malay says this, I was never married. I came to the Lord when I was 17 but shortly after accepting Christ, I went back to making my own decisions And I got pregnant. She got pregnant with her eventual son, Justin Bieber. Realizing what I had done, she says, I came back to God wholeheartedly begging him to forgive me. Now here's a question for the church. If a little girl like that makes a mistake and she asks Jesus to forgive her, does he forgive her? What is wrong with us? Why can't we forgive her too? How are they gonna come? If they think, no, you're not good enough, you didn't pass the test, you're out of here, you're gone. That is not the heart of Jesus Christ. And here's the rest of her testimony. And I said all of that to say this. She says, it's really an exciting and incredible testimony of God's mercy and grace and the genuine love of people at the church who encourage me. I said all that stuff about this opportunity. She raised this little boy to know the Lord. He's got this incredible opportunity in front of him right now that he appears to be focused on. And it was because a single mama had a church say to her, no, no, he does forgive you. And we're here for you. We love you. We'll walk with you. And she gives testimony to Jesus and his church for helping her through. God doesn't want religious spirits in church. He wants people to forgive. Are we into purity? Sure we are. But who among us has been totally pure? Do we think blessing will flow with purity? Sure we do. We know it does. But we also know that God will make a trophy out of a life in a heartbeat that's made a mistake. Right? It's, what, it's, it's a place that he shows his mercy and his grace. The church has unwittingly kept people from receiving God's grace. They didn't even mean to. Let's not be those people who have a religious spirit. Let's be the people who show God and his love. Fourth thought today, and I'll I'll do this quickly. 
Look who got saved. Zacchaeus, this rich, notorious sinner, turns in a heartbeat and he gets saved. I, I, I want you to know this. The person that you think is the least likely to be saved is sometimes the closest person to coming to Christ. The person that's the biggest partier and tipping the most beers at that party is sometimes the person that's the emptiest and that's why they're doing that. Do you remember the story of Sam last week that Jose told? All his pain and, you know, he's, he's acting crazy before and he's the first one to come to Christ. Zacchaeus, people would have said, don't mess with him to Jesus, right? You know they would have because they said he's a notorious sinner. They'd have said, don't mess with him, but Jesus didn't feel that way. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Immediately, don't, don't try to clean people up before they come to Jesus. When they come to Jesus, he'll start to clean them up. He'll help them. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Look who got saved. For that family member, that son, that daughter, that coworker, that boss, that friend, that mean person that you don't like may be the closest to coming to Jesus Christ. Even the hardest hearts will sometimes get saved when they get a good look at Jesus through our lives, through a church service, through a preacher through somebody on TV. Seed planted, seed watered, and suddenly it comes to fruition. Have you heard of Lee Strobel? He wrote the book called The Case for Christ. It's a best-selling book, and it really is incredible. I'd recommend reading it. But he has a testimony too. He was once an atheist. Check this video out and hear his story. For most of my life, I was an atheist. I thought the idea of an all-loving, all-powerful creator of the universe, I thought it was stupid. I mean, my background's in journalism and law. I tended to be a skeptical person. I was a legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. So I needed evidence before I believe anything. One day my wife came up to me. She had been agnostic. And she said after a period of spiritual investigation, she decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know, this is the worst possible news I could get. I thought she was going to turn into some sexually repressed prude who's going to spend all of her time serving the poor in Skid Row somewhere. I thought this was the end of our marriage. But in the ensuing months, I saw positive changes in her values, in her character, in the way she related to me and the children. It was winsome and it was attractive. And it made me want to check things out. So I went to church one day, uh, mainly to try to see if I could get her out of this cult that she's gotten involved in. But I heard the message of Jesus articulated for the first time in a way that I could understand it. That forgiveness is a free gift and that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we might spend eternity with him. And I walked out saying, I was still an atheist, but also saying, if this is true, this has huge implications for my life. And so I used my journalism training and legal training to begin an investigation into whether there's any credibility to Christianity or to any other world faith system for that matter. I did that for a year and nine months until November the 8th of 1981. And on that day, I realized that in light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Because to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against this torrent of evidence pointing toward the truth of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't do that 
I was trained in journalism and law to respond to truth. And so on that day, I received Jesus Christ as my forgiver and as my leader. And just like with my wife, my life began to change over time. My values, my character, the purpose of my life began to be transformed over time in a way that, as I look back, I can't imagine staying on the path I was on compared to the adventure and the fulfillment and the joy of following Jesus Christ. Wow, what an incredible thought that, that he got a good look at Jesus through his wife. Makes me think of first, if, you're, if your husband's unsaved, or First Peter 3, 1 through 6, talks about living such a good life before him that they would, they would turn their hearts over to Christ. And that's what happened with this guy. He got a good look at Jesus after his wife came to the Lord and changed. Ephesians 1, 7 here, here it is. I'm just going to close with this. He's so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son. And our sins are forgiven. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding.